Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. So, on the show today, we're talking cherries, one of my favourite fruits. Are you a cherry fan, Chris? I I certainly am, uh, definitely. Um, Both, well, flowering cherries, the ones we can enjoy for our wonderful displays in the spring, but actually the ones which really are the, the bee's knees... Of course, the ones we eat. The fruiting ones, definitely. So just thinking about that, I was was very fortunate to go to Japan, I want to say 10 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. it's probably 15, but, and out there, I went at the start of the cherry flowering season, and they have these amazing parks, which are just covered in cherry trees. Mm. The the bloom is amazing, but what I never really thought about until we started putting this show together was, are they... The ones that have these amazing flowers, are they going to give you amazing fruits as well? Or what, what's the differences between them? Yeah, I mean, they both belong to the, the prunus family, but sadly the ones we grow for ornamental use generally are just that. They they might set a fruit, but their fruits are probably fairly uh, bitter, sour, fairly insignificant so okay. the so the name varieties of cherries we're, we're familiar with you know like uh, prunus canzan uh, or sherifugan or um you know the, the, the winter yeah, yeah. autumn flowering cherry uh, which obviously we sell a lot of at the garden center here all those tend to be specifically for their wonderful flower or their good foliage some some, some have fantastic autumn color some have stunning bark color as well yep um so they are quite specific and quite different to the ones we... So the fruiting the ones. ones. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and forgive my ignorance, but just thinking, when I used to work in mail order, you've mm. got the... Is it Myrabellum plum? Myrabellum plum, yes, and indeed. And the bird cherry. Cherry, yeah. Now, they're both cherries, aren't they? They the, are. They they produce flowers, um, quite spectacular flowers, actually, um, and they do produce fruits. So are they related to the cropping varieties or the, the gene pool would be from the uh the prunus cerus of frum uh, which is the the cherry plum that's where the the gene line probably comes into a lot of the varieties we we enjoy today as as fruiting cherries okay so that's the sweeter one the sweeter one it? yes is because again just thinking back to japan mm. they have i'm going to say almost sour, sour cherries yes. out there mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're more like a small plum sort of mm. damson size so that would be the avium. So that's the yeah the wild cherry, what we would call the wild cherry, okay, or, or the bird cherry. So much much smaller, much smaller leaves, but very decorative. Very you know, and has a really good use in our gardens, i.e. Uh, as a, as an individual tree, or maybe mixed in with a with a hedge line. Yeah, because am I right in thinking that cherries flower before quickthorns? Yes. So the one the, the the cherry you tend to see in flower. Right at the beginning of the season, it's a question we get asked at the garden centre here: is what's that that tree? That tree? Yeah, and that that is one of the one of the cherries, one of the uh, the seriferum forms, which of course they do flower. And that's the um, yeah, cerisifolia is the is the variety or the species, and that one often is tagged to other parts and names. I think there's one called spring glow or spring glory. So that's a name variety of that one, which flowers right at the start of the season. Okay. Much before the, the you know, the, the popular varieties like Kanzan and uh, Anamagawa, you know, the cherry pole. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cherry are looking good. So it really does kickstart. And then we have to wait for the, yeah, the um, uh, the quick thorn and the, uh, obviously the black thorn to do their thing uh, a few a weeks later. later. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, cherries are clearly a massive family of trees, aren't they? And mm. um like you say, you get the ornamental ones and then mm. get the fruiting ones, which we're now very fortunate to have a proper local expert on growing cherries on our chat today, aren't we, Chris? We are indeed, yes. So we'll be chatting cherries from the sort of commercial growing of them, but I think uh, with, with uh, our guest, we're going to learn an awful lot about growing them in our own gardens as well. Horwood cherries are based in Great Horwood in Buckinghamshire, just a stone's throw from the garden centre. We've been lucky enough to stock their delicious fruits over the last past couple of years. However, this year they've branched out into Pick Your Own. So we are delighted today on our podcast talk to Vicky Grange from Horwood Cherries. Hello, Vicky, and welcome to Dig It. Thank you. Hi. So I suppose the first question we really want to ask, having visited your, your wonderful nursery there, is... How did you become a, a cherry grower? Um, well, 
So I met my now husband and on one of our first dates, we were talking about fruit and uh, I think he had recently had some cherries, bought some cherries from a grower in Kent. So not via the supermarket, but, you know, kind of um, from a, from a stall near, Mm -hmm. near the grower. So they were very, very fresh and just talking about how I couldn't believe how delicious they were and they were grown um, in Kent. And it kind of planted a bit of a seed and I went away and I was just, bizarrely obviously had too much time on my hands at the time was thinking about um cherries did some research and realized that Buckinghamshire used to be really well known for its cherries particularly South Bucks mm. and um and then kind of had a mess up again and talking about cherries again and decided that we might be onto something here you know how about planting a commercial cherry orchard and it kind of just it went from there really um we i went away again did some market research and then said right david let's let's do this let's put a business together 50 partnership 50 50 and um and so we did and that was it really so it was literally just a, a little conversation that, that led to us planting two and a half thousand um cherry trees Wow, oh, that's gosh. a lot of cherry trees, isn't it? And it did you have to <laughs> did you have to buy a sort of farm to start off with, or no? So how, how did we, it start off? So we are so we're in Great Horwood, and my now father-in-law, we he very kindly let us plant our cherry trees on a hectare of his land that has okay. always been part of a livestock farm. So it's right. land that was already within um, my husband's family and um yeah we kind of took a hectare and that was where we were going to plant the trees so a hectare i'm not very good with sizes is that is it five acres or two two and a half half acres acres. wow okay okay so and how many trees did you start off with two and a half thousand um we we... you can get that many on wow wow i thought two and a half thousand would take sort of 20 acres or something that's Wow. We decided okay. to, so once we'd decided that um, we were going to plant a, a cherry orchard, we spent a long time, it wasn't a rash decision, right, we're going to plant a cherry orchard, let's order the trees. You know, it was over a few years, we spent a lot of time visiting um, some established growers, growers who are, you know, second, third generation fruit yeah. growers, both in Herefordshire and Kent. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't, a, although the idea kind of came about, over a little conversation the actual planting was very well <laughs> thought out and um, we took up a lot of advice we spent a lot of time I spent a lot of time shadowing um growers two growers in particular who were very kind and I still still speak to them regularly or send them a picture of a leaf with a you know a funny mark on if I can't identify what what that mark is um, yeah. and we bought the trees yeah two and a half thousand of them back in 2015. Wow and would you mind sharing with us what varieties you planted, or was it just one variety? So we've got five different varieties. So we decided that we were going to plant them in quite an intense, uh, intensive way on that hectare. And we first identified that we wanted to to span about five weeks of the season. So that immediately, lim- not limited, but narrowed down the, the choice of varieties. So <clears throat> I think we started off with a variety called Merchant and Merchant is a um, is self-sterile. So it needs another tree of another variety to, to pollinate yeah. in order to grow. So that then led us on to the next variety, which is uh, Belize. And then right. we wanted another variety that came in after Belize and that was Cordia. So then we had to look to see which variety would pollinate Cordia, and that was Regina, um, and then our fifth and final variety is Lapin, and that's our only self-fertile variety, and it's a really popular variety, Lapin. Um, it crops really heavily. It's resistant to, to to many pests and diseases, supposedly. So we thought, right, okay, well, let's put you know a third of the orchards we'll plant is Lapin, and that'll be a bit of our fail-safe um, variety because the others are a little bit more a little bit more sensitive. So, growing cherries commercially, I was very fortunate to have a walk around um, the, the cherry farm the other week, and what got me was the fact that 
yeah, they are very intensive. You, you, they're planted quite close together, aren't they, Vicky? They are. We planted the trees um, at approximately 1.65 metres apart, um, and the rows are <laughs> and the rows are two and a half metres apart. So we we planted them um, on a trellis system. What we mm-hmm. wanted to do was a, a particular growing system called UFO, which is upright fruiting offshoots. And what that does right. is it just creates a fruiting wall. So um, as crystal, the trees are planted at a 45 degree angle. And our first wire is approximately 50 centimeters from the ground. So if you imagine the trees planted at 45 degrees, and then the leader, so the main trunk, as it were, of the, of the tree is then bent down. So it's horizontal to the ground at 50 centimeters above the ground. You then get right. the, the laterals, which become yep. the verticals um, that, that come upwards. So almost like laying a hedge. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was very similar yeah. to uh, the way you grow a step-over apple, but with yeah, a step-over, yeah. you let him grow at that. Uh, they usually grow sort of horizontal, and then you, you allow the little laterals then to fruit. This, in this instance, you're letting the main laterals probably thinned out, I'm sure, to produce the main sort of growing stem of yeah. the, the cherry tree. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And, and, mm. it, it. and from that point of view, it was really interesting because we, mm. you know, we, my husband and I were both, completely new into this david many years ago had a, a pick your own strawberry but had never had anything to do with cherries i'd never had anything to do with cherries so it really has been a huge learning curve so we wanted to plant in this particular way ufo upright fruiting offshoots it's very intensive you can get a large crop of a relatively small area um although when you're pruning two and a half acres doesn't feel very small um <laughs> and but we, what we've learned, actually, is some of the varieties aren't really that keen to grow like that. So the lapins, um, which are only self-fertile, are very vigorous, and they really like to grow like that. Whereas some of the other varieties, and Chris might have seen um, when he came in, they've got slightly longer branches. They prefer to grow and fruit off longer, floppier branches. So I'm just, yeah. I have a bit of a play when I'm pruning and just see really what suits the tree the best. So, you know, what what we're going to get the best fruit from, really. So we started off with UFO, but now we've got various versions of it going on throughout the orchard. Yeah. I mean, one thing I did think of is when I was looking at the way you're growing the, the, the plants, Vicky, that, you know, surely that's some sort of method, you know, the amateur gardener could have a go at, you know, to use their space wisely. Would would that Definitely. be something you should have to think of doing? Yes, I think so. I mean, I think especially... You know, if you've got children, grandchildren, the way our trees are planted is the fruit is accessible, or somebody in a wheelchair, you know, the fruit is accessible to everybody. So I think if you've got a wall or you can put a bit of fencing up or, or even just some wires and um, and can train your fruit tree, you can just, you know, have a play with it, I suppose, and see yeah. see what happens. Nothing's forever, is it? If, it? if it's not working the way it is, you could perhaps just let it undo it and let it grow up again. Indeed, and able to keep those pesky birds off as well. So, <laughs> uh, just thinking, how how tall do the shoots get? Are you, are you letting them sort of come up to about three, four, five foot, or do uh, they get taller than can, that? As tall as I can prune, so I'm quite tall anyway. Okay, um, but what I don't want is the fruit to be unharvestable from the ground. So yeah, so I don't let them go. The tallest ones are probably about seven and a half feet. Oh, that's really compact, isn't it? Mm. It sounds like a really sensible way of training the trees so you yeah. can harvest all the crop. That's brilliant. So, Vicky, do you grow your trees outside or do you have to sort of protect them from the birds at all? So we have our orchard covered. Um, so post-blossom, so before before the trees come into bloom, they're, they're all open in the outside. Uh, and then after blossom, we cover them. Their okay. covers are made out of plastic and netting. So we've got netting kind of, if you imagine, 31 rows. Between each of those cherry tree rows, there's a grass alleyway. And above that grass oh. alleyway, we have netting. So that keeps birds out, but it allows the rainwater to, to come through so we can utilize the rainwater for, for, to irrigate the plants. And then yep. attached to that netting over the cherry tree rows are plastic, um, big plastic sheets. And they are mainly to stop the rain um, because cherries are really susceptible to 
splitting if they get too wet. Um, two right, reasons. Okay. One, yeah, one water landing where the stem um, and the cherry meet and the water kind of yep. pools in there. The cherry absorbs it and then it splits. And two, too much water uptake from the roots as well. So we have got a system really that helps with the splitting, but also keeps the birds out. Now, birds are really clever. I have lots that taunt me every morning and every evening, um, but we've got a lot of cherries. Yeah, and they don't, you know, they don't do significant damage. So we're happy. We're happy to share a bit. I suppose if you've got two and a half thousand trees, they probably get quite full quite quickly. Whereas uh, with my one uh, one single cherry tree, they just mob it and um, that's it. Uh, I was saying to Chris the other day, I, I had the whole grand total of 12 cherries off my tree. Of my good entire job you've got crop such for a the good year. Pick your own orchard close by. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Um, they do. They, I mean, two years ago in 2020, we couldn't put the covers on because we couldn't get a team together, and it and it takes more than just myself and David to um, to put the covers on. So we did uh, leave the covers off, which was a great learning curve, and uh, they really do split, uh, which we found out. Um, but also the starlings, I feel like we did our bit for starling conservation. Because it was like something out of a horror movie. They would literally, on our neighbor's house, they would be on the tree there and they would just fly down. Just, oh, I can't even tell you how many hundreds of them. It was it was an amazing sight. Um, oh, but um, yeah, they did do a bit more imagine. damage. <laughs> Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure Alfred Hitchcock would be would be proud of you for doing that. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and just thinking about, so how long does it take from planting to actually cropping the fruit? Do you have to uh, using your UFO method? Does it take? Does that speed the process up? Or um, I don't. I don't know that it necessarily speeds the process up. So the fruit. So cherries fruit off their second year's growth. Um, yep. We planted in 2015 and we planted two-year-old whips. So they went into the ground in 2015. We had a very small harvest in 2017, um, which okay. has increased year on year. And this year, well, this year seven, it takes about six, seven years, I think, for the for the trees really to, to kind of mature and grow into, mm-hmm. grow into themselves, as it were. So this would be probably our first year of having mature cherry trees okay mm-hmm. and uh, okay. do you know what the sort of lifespan of the cherry tree is will you expect a good crop off it for the next 20 years or is it something that's going to I last think even 15, 15 to 20 for a for a commercial yeah. orchard probably 15 for a, a big commercial orchard but i mean they should still be cropping by the time they're 25 um yeah. so yes okay. we've got got a little while ahead of us yet brilliant and, and Vicky, you, you, as we know, as we sell cherry trees at the garden centre here, bare-rooted, they're, they're grafted yeah. uh, stock. So um, it, does that sort of play quite an important part when you, we, you were planting back in uh, you know, 2015, of the, the variety, the grafting variety you were, you were purchasing your, your five varieties on? Yes. Yeah, so we, we purchased them all from, from a big nursery and we took advice from, you know, I said earlier about some growers um, who mm-hmm. I've spent some time shadowing. And so we went for the Gazella 5 and 6 um, rootstock, which is a dwarfing rootstock. Um, oh, that makes sense. Uh-huh. Again, seven, you know, the eight, nine feet maximum would be yep. the height that they grow. We obviously prune them at around seven feet. Again, just, you know, harvesting from the ground, not having to worry about ladders, making it accessible to, to all. And also within the structure, because the whole orchard is covered we obviously wanted to make sure that, that they weren't going to outgrow the outgrow the structure so yeah so we went for gazella five and six yeah that's I mean, gazella as we do i think uh, the, the morello cherry um that, mm-hmm. i think it's only that variety we do at the garden center here on on that and it's obviously very very popular for that reason for for those people with smaller gardens and smaller spaces yeah. To, to fill. yeah and i think actually my mum bought years ago the morello on a G five or six from you as well, and she has that trained against a wall, um, and it's lovely. It's really nice to just keep that nest as well. But uh... great stuff, yeah. yeah. Good. And you mentioned that Buckinghamshire once upon a time was famous for growing cherries. Is that mm. because of our soil? Do, do we need a specific soil to grow cherries in, or will they <laughs> yeah. grow anywhere? Um, no, you definitely need a specific soil. Heavy Norfolk clay isn't 
most ideal soil. Um, <laughs> surprise, surprise. I'm pleased to hear you've got the special got. soil as well. Yeah. We've worked with what we've got. Um, I think they were more prolific in in South Parks and the Chilterns, where the soil's a bit more free draining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I know around, I think it was Sear Green area, they used to have uh, a, on Sundays, the last Sunday of harvest. I can't remember what they called it now. It'll come to me in a minute. The last Sunday of harvest, they used to get together. I think they even called it Cherry Pie Sunday, and it was a big okay. annual event. Um, mm. Where we are, we because we had our soil analysed and everything before we planted. You know, we wanted to make sure yep. of what we had. pH wise, it was it was pretty good. It's about six point five. So ideally, cherries want between six and six point five. Um, right. pH just because the majority of trace elements are kind of more available. Yep. there than they are if it if it if it goes um you know much less or much much more we planted on raised beds as well so it's mm-hmm. just enabled it to be a bit more free draining um we've composted on top just to try and help the movement of the soil a little bit try and increase the organic matter as well to help with drainage yeah and we uh yeah so that's kind of the the soil Lighter, more free-draining soil is, is preferable. They're a bit yeah, sensitive. So. They don't like wet feet. I mean, they don't like too dry. I think, I think that sort of rule sort of applies to all the stone fruits, wouldn't it, uh, Vicky? Mm. Would you say? Have you grown you have the, the fast draining yeah, aspect? Yeah, we've got. Certainly. We've got. We just literally planted just a little, not commercial, to just a few, you know, a handful of of, uh, of other stone fruit trees, um, and again, just worked in worked in some compost, and yeah, just tried to tried to help them out a little bit, really. And and feeding wise, do you have any any sort of uh, sort of regimes you, you you know sort of annual things you you carry out uh, to keep your your cherries in in fine fettle through the season, or is it all done sort of at the beginning of the season when the the, the trees are dormant? Um, well, we've got so I've got a kind of trickle irrigation, and I've got a dosatron where I can dissolve some fertilizer you know into water, and the dosatron yep. sucks it up. And uh, that way I can monitor exactly how much is being put on um, which variety. So throughout the season, uh, I do various things, but most of it is through the trickle rather than any kind of top dressings mm-hmm. um, for a number of reasons. One, cost. Um, cost of fertilizer yeah. now is astronomical. Um, so we put on, what do we put on? We put some potassium on for fruit size. Um, some phosphates they're particularly good for root development uh, and nitrogen as well so nitrogen in the spring really helps for the leaf size mm-hmm. um, which obviously increases the surface area and therefore better photosynthesis and then in the autumn um, some more nitrogen as well just to help the bud development for the following year okay there are some foliar seeds as well that um, that can go on sporadically throughout the throughout the season as well if we feel like we need to, to put something on you know we'll send some leaves off for some can't speak we'll send uh, a few of the leaves off for analysis as well just to see if the trees are are lacking but yeah i mean it's hard but i do feel as well there's only they're going to grow they're going to grow i don't want to be putting too much on the trees i want to give enough to give them the helping hand but it's not going to be economically viable or particularly great for the environment to to be constantly feeding them um in my opinion but there we go we'll see how long the orchard <laughs> orchard goes for uh, with that but it yeah i think it's just a bit of uh getting the balance right really giving them a healthy yeah. hand but not overfeeding not over yeah. over yeah, yeah. yeah overfeeding that's interesting and just going back uh, you you were talking about the birds and harvesting. Mm. Just thinking uh, about that a bit more. Is it possible to pick your cherries while they're still sort of yellow and haven't properly coloured up yet, so and get them to ripen in the fridge, or do you have to no. pick them when they are ready to eat? You've got to pick them when they're ready to eat. They won't ripe once they're off the tree, or that they they will just start deteriorating. So they don't. It's not like no. a banana where you can pick it early and it'll ripen on transit. So the cherries, it really is. That's why it's very fast and furious during the season. They've got right. to be off that tree. We, When we're picking for, for the shops, hotels and restaurants, 
there off the tree. We don't touch the fruit at all. We pick from the stem, grade it by hand. First grade, they're the ones that are going out. Second grade, they go for jam. And third grades are, um, there's a local chap with a pig farmer and he takes any waste cherries um, for his pigs. So they, they they do kind of need to be picked when they're ready. And there's three ways that I decide if they're ripe or not. Um, the first okay. one is there's a universal color chart called CTIFL, which you can only get from France. It's literally a little chart with different colors on, and it depends on mm-hmm. the variety to the color. So it will nice. tell you on the back. It's all very straightforward. It'll tell you on the back, Belize color five, six. So you look at five and six, hold the cherry up to it, decide whether or not it's at that stage yet. Um, yep. And then the next one is the bricks level, the sugar level. So I use a refractometer mm-hmm. to test the sugar levels. So I'll take a random sample. And the third is taste. If it tastes sweet, if it's dark around the stone, and you bite into it, then it's good to go. Mm. And when you're sorry, when you're picking them, you're not touching the fruit. So are you trimming the stalks with like snips, or are you? How do you yeah. go about? harvesting so when you so you walk up to the tree see a cherry that that meets kind of the requirements color wise and you place your thumb and forefinger near the top of the stem where the stem is attached to the branch and you just literally lift your wrist up and the 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 stem should come away easily from the branch so you're holding the fruit by the stem glancing over it checking to see which grade it is and then just placing it gently in, in the correct container Wow. Yeah. So yes. that's how you don't you, your your Damn. fruit never turns up all bruised, which <laughs> you've obviously mastered <laughs> this, haven't it you? <laughs> it's uh, it is. They they are. I said it earlier, but they are so sensitive, and I think yeah. that's one of our USPs is that you know the fruit from all cherries is obviously there is human human error, but as as much yeah. as we can, ninety nine point nine percent of the time, it's out in you know tip-top condition straight from the pick straight from the tree i have to say vicky when i was there yeah when i was there doing some uh, picking that process takes a little bit of getting used to though because you you almost feel as though you you need to sort of maybe pull the 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 stem but as you say if you get the angle just right it does part from the the tree really easily yeah Yeah, it does it normally takes so if we have people kind of employed to help with harvest it normally takes two to three days to really kind of get up to scratch with it to, to learn the learn the method and to to feel kind of confident in doing it at speed mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah one thing i did notice um like when i was walking around there was some intriguing looking pots uh sort of set amongst your your wonderful rows of cherries um, am i thinking that this is something to do with pest control no you're absolutely right so there's there's uh, a couple of different um, pests that are definitely not ones that we're wanting. Um, one of them is called FWD, which is a, a spotted winged Drosophila. So it's a, a fruit fly, and the male has a spot on each of his wings. So they're quite easy to identify from that point of view. The female's a bit mm-hmm. more tricky to identify, um, but you can with an eyeglass. And you know, if you know what you're looking for, it's got a pointed overpositor. Um, but um, but yeah, those yellow traps they are particularly for that fruit fly really just to monitor to monitor to see if we if we have and if we would if we did have kind of in what numbers and um what it is is we fill it up they're up all year round because this particular fruit fly likes to overwinter in nearby hedgerows um mm-hmm. so we put those up all year round and every every week in the season every two weeks out of the season i go around i open the traps pour out the contents use my eyeglass, have a little look to see if there is any of those SWD in there and then fill the lure up again or fill it up with lure again to, to you know, to try and to try and um, see if there are any, any more the following week. But um, as well as those traps, I don't know if you notice the netting all around the, the orchard. It's mm-hmm. a particular type of netting with the holes small enough that the SWD can't fly through it because right. SWD is supposed to only fly up to approximately approximately 1.5 meters high so we do yeah the 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 traps to monitor the netting to keep it out and also any fruit that's dropped on the floor or left 
in the uh, left on the trees, you know, fruit that starts to mummify or something over the winter, it all gets picked off. So at the end of the season, if you were to come into the orchard, you shouldn't be able to find a single cherry in there. Um, that's the aim. So it's just all prevention, really. Prevention rather than cure is what we're aiming for. Mm-hmm. That's so I better go and clean up all the stones that the birds left behind. Are they going to cause me the problems stone, next the year? The stones then? are okay. Any kind of any bits of flesh is what you don't want. Ah, but the okay, stones, stones are fine. But th- this SWD, it's in raspberries, blueberries, blackberries, all sorts of things. So yeah, That'd just be good, all over good my practice lot, really yeah. to, <laughs> yeah, to use it all. Excellent. And uh, are there any other diseases or things we need to be aware of when growing cherries? Uh, what else do we need to be aware of? Well, I think aphids, aphids everywhere. They don't really harm the fruit, but they don't, you know, they're a bit unsightly on the leaf once it's all curled up. Um, with cherries, they like to be quite open. I mean, I need to get into a bit more pruning, um, but they like to be quite quite open, not too close together, all the branches. Um, okay. And then that, you know, just allow the airflow to come through and that would help with any any kind of botrytis or or other type of mildew type type diseases. Yep. I suppose actually on the subject of pruning, do you do most of your pruning sort of the latter end of the season or when's your main pruning time for your trees? My main pruning time's in spring. With with cherries again, they they don't like to well, you shouldn't prune cherry trees if it's going to be wet. You want it to be dry for at least three days so that the cuts you make dry completely otherwise you open them up to risk of of canker and you know other diseases um so when we prune i disinfect my secateurs after each tree just in case one tree is carrying something that um you know that i can't see and then moves on Mm -hmm. to the next one so disinfect secateurs after after every tree and i tend to 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 prune in spring just because it's covers are going up if they're not up already um, and yeah, just some dry days really. So spring, March, April. Mar- yeah, ideally, I'd like yeah. to start in March. Sometimes by the time yeah. I get round to it, it's more April, May. Um, okay. If yes. we once we finished harvest this year, if I can leave the covers up, I will take a bit more out because now I can see how much fruit we've got on this year. There's a few trees that I just want to give a bit more space to, so I'll be able to take out some big, some big branches. Um, some big uprights just to allow more airflow. So it's kind of a continual process, but definitely mm. not in any wet weather. No, no. Excellent. And now onto the favourite thing, the eating part. Can you yeah. give us any sort of recommendations for good recipes or what to do with our cherries? Ah, uh, what could you do with them? So my father-in-law does uh, a great recipe. Well, it's not even a recipe. It's he... He destones them, destems them, drops them in brandy, leaves them there right. for said period of time, and then before Christmas, he'll decant them and pop them in ice cube trays and cover them with chocolate. Um, oh, and that's oh. lovely, and it's a really nice kind of Christmas present that he gives out to, to his friends, and they taste delicious. Um, I tend to, because the season's quite hectic, I don't yeah. have that much time to, to make much with my cherries, unfortunately. So I tend to just de-stone them, stem, de-stem them, simmer them up, mash them a bit with a potato masher, let them cool, yeah. and then pop them in a freezer bag. And then during winter, we'll have them mixed with porridge or in yogurt, or it makes a good base for a crumble as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds good. And yeah. My mum makes us to die for uh, cherry ice cream. So they're just so versatile. <laughs> the roasted yeah. with lamb apparently is very nice. Um, okay. Would that yeah, be the sweet a, cherry or a sour cherry? Yeah, sweet, sweet cherry, sweet cherry. A friend of mine, she roasts them. Um, she put them with a lamb. She also put them with goat's cheese on a bruschetta and serves that mm, up at the yes. party. So they, yeah, they're very versatile. I think not just as a dessert cherry, but as a to, to have with your main meal. Brilliant. I love lamb, and as we've got some of your cherries in the fridge, I might have to go and buy ah, some and <laughs> yeah, have roast lamb try. this weekend. Yeah, definitely. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. And, and Vicky, sort of thinking ahead now, you know, with with your business at, uh, at Great Hallwood, where, where do you think you're going to be in the next few years? Have you got any plans to, to grow more cherries or maybe do a bit of diversification in other fruits? Uh, do you have a, uh, a master plan? At, at the moment, 
I'm going to just stick with, with the cherries we've got. Um, I've got some ideas of some different ways of planting. There's a particular method called the Drapo method, which I quite like the sound of. Um, so where we've got a few gaps, you know, as you do, there's always a certain percentage of trees that, that don't make it for whatever reason. Um, so I think the next step really would be to to plant uh, a few more within the orchard that we've got already, not to expand size-wise, um, and just, yeah, have a play with different methods. I, I find it intriguing how different varieties are suited to different uh, training and pruning methods. Um, so, no, we're going to stick with cherries, stick with the size we've got, and just, yeah, just play around. I think there's always there's always room for improvement. I'm always learning. You know, every year, every every season, there's something else that, um, you know, another challenge that, that comes up that, that you didn't really have to face before. So, it's, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot going on. And I think we'll, we'll just stick with how it is for now. Brilliant. And just thinking, uh, you're talking about opening trees up earlier. And is there, obviously, you've got a fairly clever way of growing your trees for the normal gardener would you recommend that or would you suggest the standard sort of i don't know what would you call it a pom-pom sort of type shape or any other shapes that you think the normal gardener who yeah. wants to grow a cherry tree how, i think it depends on on what on what you're after i mean in the in the garden with children or grandchildren if they want to be climbing up in them then probably a more um traditional way of 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 growing it would be would be good because they're you know it's fun to climb trees and if you can climb mm-hmm. a tree and get a reward of a a nice delicious cherry once you've got up there then all the better um but there are i mean there's a the trap called greg lang from uh united states of america i'm sure he's american yes i'm sure he's american he has done so much research on different varieties i mean he's got a book um sorry with different training methods he's got a book and okay. there are vast numbers. So I think it's fun to have a play. I mean, some ornamental growers, or not ornamental growers, but you know when you, you're you in a kind of a, a stately home garden, you're looking around and you know how beautiful some of the pear trees and apple trees are grown when they're grown on a trellis system. I yeah. think it's fun to play. I think it depends. You know, you're going to get fruit out of it. So just got to work out how high you want the fruit, how accessible, what space you've got. Um, don't forget to plant one that's going to fertilize the other one so make sure you haven't bought you know a sterile a self-sterile tree because you're never going to get fruit and apart from that just yeah work out what it is you're you're aiming for okay thank you and thinking about that uh vicky what is there any sort of one piece of advice you give to our, our listeners uh, about growing cherries in the garden you know from your you know your vast experience over growing them over the last sort of seven years over at uh, great hallwood um, every year they'll give you a different challenge. So they're certainly not boring, easy fruit <laughs> um, to grow. Um, probably just make sure that they, they've got some decent, well-draining soil. Um, don't overwater them. Don't let them dry out too much. But yeah, I think that the, their root system, that's the most important thing, just making sure that it is free-draining. And growing growing cherries in pots is that something you've you've experimented at all? I mean, obviously on your on your it's orchard not, you don't need to do that. Yeah. No, no, I haven't. I suppose from that point of view, it's just making sure that the pot would be would be big enough mm. um, for the for the root system that you've got. But I mean, plenty of people do grow them in pots. Um, but it's they, not they something do. that I've. Yeah, it's not something that I've. You're probably best better equipped to to deal with those questions. And what's the question nobody ever asks you, but you really wish they would? Uh, question nobody asks me. Probably. Um, <laughs> it's very random, but nobody ever asks you what your favourite smell is. And um, right. my favourite smell is just before it rains. So the smell of, of rain on freshly cut grass or, or whatever, you know, that is... That is lovely, but my favourite smell is that moment before it starts to rain, and I think there's a special name for it. Um, Petri char. Is that what it is? I think it is. Think it is. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's somebody I, I, that you... can smell the rain before it happens, not after it happens. If that makes sense. 
Yeah. So it's very strange, but I've always loved the rain. And um, yeah, my favourite smell is um, is that moment when you're outside and it hasn't yeah. rained yet, but it's just about to. And that'd be very pertinent with growing cherries, I suppose, wouldn't it? <laughs> if you were, if you hadn't covered them <laughs> up at all. <laughs> Go that. Um, Vicky, we, we, we do like to ask all our, our digit guests the, the usual perennial question of, you've been shipwrecked on a desert island. Which plants uh, would you wish you could have with you to enjoy on your... Uh, your desert island. So my my favourite of all time flower is a sunflower. So okay. it would have to be a sunflower, um, particularly a giant Mongolian sunflower. Um, my mum grew okay. about five hundred um, sunflowers, twelve different varieties for David and I, my wedding, and they're just sunflowers. There's just something about them. You, they're just beautiful and they're happy. They make you smile. Um, and then they've got the added bonus. Obviously, I could eat the seeds. Mm. Um, Indeed. When when they're That's over. Great. So yeah, have to, all yeah. time favourite would have to be a sunflower. Yeah, good good choice. Yeah, fantastic. And you could make some some nice oils out of it to cook yeah. on as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Enjoy. Uh-huh. Ah, so that, all that fish that's going to be caught as well. Oh, I hadn't thought yeah. of that. See, it's just it's just and, the flower and, that keeps on giving. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, sunflower stems they produce canes, don't they? So you could use those for support systems as well. <laughs> You go. It's a it's a multitasking mm. plant. Like a build sunflower. a shelter. You could, <laughs> yes. Or oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Fantastic. That's good. No. Oh, well, thank you very much for your time today, Vicky. It's been fascinating talking to Brilliant. you, and it really inspired me to try some new things with cherries. Yeah, and and indeed, well, thank you very and much uh, for having me. It's been great to speak uh, with you. And it's been great to, to find out that the process is growing them commercially as well. And some of the, obviously, the advice you've given is, has been absolutely invaluable today, Vicky. So thank you very much. And uh, we look forward to welcoming more wonderful great Horwood cherries to the garden centre shortly. Mm-hmm. Eating some Yes, more. it'll be the new variety next week. So they'll be in. Oh, that sounds great. Thank you very much, Vicky. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for your time. very much. Thanks. Wow. I never knew we are going to have such an interesting chat about cherries. I know. Brilliant. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, from my perceptions of growing a cherry tree in the garden or trying to grow a cherry tree in the garden over these years to the way they're grown commercially, lots of food for thought, I would say. Yeah, what Peter. a brilliant way of, sort of growing them, almost like laying them over sideways and mm. then... I suppose that gives them a nice long trunk, effectively, yep. and then all the branches come up the side, and then do they become leaders? I mean, wow! They would be they would be individual leaders. So on each tree, you're probably getting anything between what five and maybe up to eight leaders per tree, and they were one one point five, one point six meters apart. So yes, you get a lot of productivity in a. A a very compact area, which is, I guess, how she's managed to get two and a half thousand of them in a couple of acres. That's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, and certainly when it came to to picking, when I was there a few weeks ago, it was easy, so easy to actually get to the tree and, and pick. And, and pick pick well. And I suppose equally, if, I mean, the trouble with the one down on my allotment is it's now, I'd say, about eight foot tall, and it's growing in all directions. Mm. And, yeah, I, I, I gave up netting it a couple of years ago because it just became so hard. Whereas if you've got something that's compact and nice and easy and in a uniform shape like that, I suspect it's a lot, lot easier, isn't it? And also it? very narrow. That was the thing, when you're walking up the rows, you could, you know, probably a metre in depth, which, of course, you could easily net in your own garden as well. Yeah, Hence, so. that's why, I suppose, at the garden centre here, we, we, can, we obviously sell lots of fan train fruit, you know, because yeah. it lends itself to growing against a, a fence or a wall or a, a division within the garden as well. And I suppose if you get a maiden... You can probably save yourself a few pounds by doing one of these fancy growing systems and end up with a lovely looking tree against your wall that's genuinely sort of grown up to the wall. Most definitely, Peter. And I think that's the thing with with the maiden tree. It's basically your building blocks or whatever you do with that maiden tree, whether you you stop it after three or four foot to become a bush or you let it get taller to become a a pom-pom sort of half standard, you've got that flexibility. Um, but no, I think using a maiden tree as a effective this this form of uh, step over where you're growing it on a, a more compact system surely is the way to go. With with spaces in our gardens becoming even more limited these days. I'm just thinking on that, Chris. Am I right in thinking that the cher- cherries you can grow on a north facing wall? Mm. Is it 
there was a fruiting one, wasn't there? There is, yes. So the famous one, and that's Morello. So the okay, Morello that's, cherry. that's a slightly sour one, isn't it? It is, yes. It's Not one we, we, we sell lots of at the garden centre. A lot of people obviously like it for producing jams and preserves and, okay, and cooking yeah. with. But yes, so if, uh, if our you know, listeners are trying to think about something to grow against a north or an east-facing wall, pear trees will grow reasonably well, but actually the Morello cherry by far will do much, much better. And the other thing that I'd never really thought about was cropping seasons, because obviously in this country we've got some agribusinesses that have farms down in Cornwall and then mm-hmm. farms in Cambridge and then farms in sort of a bit further up north and then they go out to Scotland and mm. gives them a much longer cropping season. The other way you can do that is just with different varieties of fruit and yeah. I'm guessing with the five varieties that Vicky's chosen that's enabled her to do that and can you think of sort of some other mm. varieties that you can do that with indeed well certainly from from the varieties we, we sell through the garden center here through our mail order department we, we have picked out those four key varieties to give you quite a long extended season so Sunburst would be the one to start your season in, in early July. So that's right. another, that's, again, it's a it's a dessert cherry. So pick off the yep. tree and enjoy. Um, raised in Canada, and then the next one to follow on that from that would be Stella, which yep. is your your favourite. Yeah, yeah, that's the one that I can never get to crop. And <laughs> it just yeah, looks but, nice, but it doesn't do much for well, me. Well, maybe um, maybe I need to look after it and give it some fertilizer and water and <laughs> the basic things in life, yeah. perhaps. Yeah, and then we got and then we got summer sun, basically, which is the one which is late July into August as well. So that and that's another very sweet dessert variety. And then of course you've got Morello, which again is sort of late July into August too. So within okay. those four varieties, you've got probably two two months, maybe a little bit longer. Wow. So, yeah, of, of and I suppose cropping. the other thing you must be aware of with cherries is that they're not all self-pollinated, are they? You've got to be fairly clever with what you're going to yeah. plant next to them so you can get them pollinating. Certainly, and, and that's in case of a point, really. If you're, growing, you know, if, you're growing, if you've got the space and you can create your own little cherry orchard, then yes, grow probably you know, the one plant of several varieties to give you that succession. And obviously choosing... So the varieties we sell here, you would find that would be quite easy to do. A lot of them are pollinated, obviously, by our, our favourite bees and obviously some wind pollination as well. Hence, yep. thinking about how we grow our sweet corn, we tend to grow that in blocks. Yep. Cherry trees tend to be grown in, in blocks when they're grown in an orchard. Obviously, okay. if you're growing them down the line, obviously, which Vicky does under under a structure, she makes sure that there's you know four or five varieties to give that succession. Remember, the plants will obviously flower at around about the same time. It's how those developing fruits form, which obviously gives you your different cropping seasons. So essentially, mm. that, that little bit of a lap over of, of time will give you that succession of crops, which, of course, is so... So important. Because mm, you extended season, mm. isn't it? So before you went to the cherry farm, Chris, did you come across this idea of picking the stalks off the branches rather than just pulled the cherries off the stalks and I thought that was the right way. <laughs> to, be, to be perfectly honest, Peter, I was expecting to get a small pair of secateurs or scissors to get the scissors off because that's how I expected to remove them because I always felt with cherries because they're quite a precious easily bruised fruit yep. that you want to do it as, as easy as possible so um vicky does give you a bit of a crash course when you get there on how to remove the fruits from the the plants successfully and succinctly without obviously damaging the plant yeah because I mean, the idea of pulling the stalks off the branches i I'd, I'd yeah. never come across the well i've never done cherry picking commercially or I just always thought oh, that's a nice looking cherry. It's a lovely colour. That must be right. Pull mm. it, and if it falls, it comes off the stalk. It's yeah. in my mouth. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's easy as that. But I think the whole process is yeah. You put putting your, your fingers under the under the the stems. Should I say the stalks? Yeah. Um, and then you're obviously then lifting the the uh, the stalks up to a point where they do hopefully part from the the tree. Some part better than others and I think that's what uh, Vicky was saying about the process of making sure that the fruit is to, to ripeness that they, they do come away nice and easy. So you don't even need to squash the cherry you to oh. test whether it's sort of nice and ripe on it. Not you, you, really, you, pull, no. you pull the, the stalk and if that you know, it comes off nice and easily Indeed. then the fruit's yeah. ready. But then I think we're discussing earlier weren't we the fact that if you're 
leaving the stalk on the tree, that then just withers and potentially opens the tree up for an infection of some sort, I guess, is yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it's all part of the yeah good garden husbandry, isn't it? Making Removing all that sort of potential dead material which could reinfect or create dieback or create mildew or botrytis within the plant itself. So... In as ways, you're pruning, you're pruning and removing those uh, those stalks for a good reason, and keeping the plant nice and clean for the winter. Mm. Like they say, Chris, every day's a school day. They do indeed, Peter. <laughs> I'm do really indeed. pleased to have learned that. Now I might might be able to harvest my cherries more successfully indeed. and keep them fresh for a couple of days rather than and bruise free as well. Bruise that's, free. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Here you go, Chris. I got one for you. Okay. What happens when a cherry tree grows up? Tell me. It blossoms. Well, it does, indeed. So (laughs) I'll I'll try, well, see if I can beat that one. Um, So, Peter, did you hear the the joke about the the cherry? No. It was pitiful. (laughs) Brilliant. Okay, Chris, well, I think that should round up the show nicely. Thank you for (laughs) all of your help and input, as always. Thank you, Peter. Today's show was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Chris Day and Peter Brown. The show was produced by Peter Brown. And our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chilton Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk.